0: Yeah, uh, 2022, almost 2023. Guys, we got a very special show for you today. So as you know, there was the uh, JFK document dump that was not quite everything, but uh, we are going to talk to Lamar Waldron. Lamar Waldron was called the ultimate JFK historian by variety. Well, the Chicago Tribune said he is one of the most, one of the best investigative journalists in the United States. Waldron in his newest book, The Hidden History of the JFK Assassination, were covered by the Boston Globe, NBC News, the Chicago Tribune, the New York Post, the Guardian, the BBC and UPI. He has been doing this work for over 30 years, folks. He has yeah. been on everything. He has done documentaries about his work in Europe and Japan in addition. So uh, we're going to have an awesome talk with him today about everything that went down with that document dump. So please welcome to the show Mr. Lamar Waldron. How's it going, Lamar? Great
1: great to be with you
0: guys. So let's start. uh, Let's kind of start from the beginning. Uh, Who killed JFK and why? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, as the,
0: uh,
1: um, uh, you know, the Warren Commission was only the first and least informed of six government committees, Public government committees, no secret investigations, very public government committees. Warren Commission was only the first of those six, and they were by far least informed. The fifth of the six official government committees to investigate concluded that JFK was probably killed as the result of a conspiracy. Hmm. And uh, they pointed to two mafia godfathers Carlos Marcelo, the godfather of Louisiana, Eastern Texas, most of Mississippi and Santo Traficante, the godfather of much of Florida, based in Tampa, Florida, as having, quote, the motive means and opportunity, end quote, to have killed JFK. So they were exactly right. Uh, There was a third mobster involved as Bobby Kennedy's closest aide during 1963 and 64, as long as he was Attorney General starting in uh, 63. Bobby Kennedy's closest aide added another person to that, a Mafia Don, not a godfather, not a mob boss, but a Mafia Don, so much lower level, by the name of Johnny Roselli. Now, the reason the House Select Committee didn't look into Johnny Roselli too much, the fourth government committee, the Senate Church Committee they had actually interviewed Roselli several times in private sessions, starting in 1975, continuing in 1976. Uh, for the first time in US history, a Senate witness was murdered. He first vanished, then oh, his yeah. body was found dismembered and floating in a 55 gallon oil drum off the coast of Miami. And this was about two weeks after Johnny Roselli had uh, had lunch with Mafia Godfather, Santo Traficanti who was not too happy with Roselli's testimony. Even though Roselli had protected traficanti you know, unfortunately, the testimony was in secret session. So you know, Traficanti right. couldn't be 100% sure exactly what Roselli had said. So he wouldn't make really sure Roselli didn't testify again. So, so as, as, again, Bobby Kennedy's closest aide, a man by the name of John Noel, and you can look him up in the history books. I mean, he... He 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 was later a very distinguished lawyer, and and during 1963, he was Bobby Kennedy's uh, chief, uh, you know, assistant. Literally, the office next to Bobby Kennedy handled, especially all the top secret stuff that Bobby was dealing with in relation to Cuba, the secret American operations against Cuba, and um, the war against the mafia. He also helped some with civil rights, and so as John Nolan told me. Um, Mm. Uh, you know, it was Marcello Traficante and Bobby. Bobby knew about Marcello before Bobby himself was murdered. And we know that because Bobby told one of his uh, one of JFK's aides, Richard Goodwin, that Marcelo um, had done it. And uh, John Nolan, in addition to being Bobby's top aide during 1963 and into 64, before Bobby resigned as attorney general and became a senator, Uh, John Nolan conducted a secret investigation for Attorney General Robert Kennedy, the president's brother. And so so John Nolan wasn't guessing, you know, when he said it was Mm Marcello Traficante and Roselli because John Nolan also, you know, kept up with everything. He was a very connected Washington insider, as you might guess Bobby's former assistant was. and John Nolan, when I spoke to him, he was a senior partner in Washington's most powerful law firm. And he was very afraid to talk to me. And this was all, I mean, this wasn't just off the record or on background. I mean, this was like, you know, in fact, I never used his name in any of my books oh, wow. until after he had passed away. In fact, I okay. still haven't used his name in my books because they were written before he passed away. He passed away just a couple of years ago. So, so, so like I say, we know it was Marcello Traficanti and Roselli. Uh, and mm-hmm. they killed JFK for a very simple reason, starting when JFK was a senator and Bobby Kennedy was the chief counsel for what was called the Senate Rackets Committee. Uh JFK brought people like Carlos Marcella um, and Johnny Roselli's bosses, Chicago mob boss Sam Giancana, you know, to these congressional oh, hearings. Yeah. And, and they would Bobby would just grill these people, and Marcello yeah. would take the fifth, and so would Giancana, uh, the Mafia's banker in the 50s, and 60s, was a labor leader by the name, a corrupt labor leader, by the name of Jimmy Hoffa. You've probably heard of, and, uh, and when Bobby, dragged Jimmy Hoffa, Jimmy Hoffa would take the fifth sometimes, but he would just spar with Bobby. I mean, it was clear they just all hated each other, and then yeah. and then, JFK became famous by going after the mafia, because the Eisenhower-Nixon administration wouldn't, because Nixon was in bed with the mafia uh, since the first time he ever ran for political office. And, and, and Eisenhower, uh, who knows why he wouldn't go after mafia. And of course, J. Edgar <laughs> Hoover didn't want to go after the mafia because they had compromising information on his personal life. So, right. so JFK rode these Senate hearings Targeting these mafia godfathers and their banker, essentially their banker, Jimmy Hoffa, you know, to the presidency, and then after he became president, he appointed his he 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 kept his campaign promise. He appointed his brother uh, Bobby Attorney General, the highest law enforcement person in America, and they went after the mafia like America had never done and has never done since. And so, I mean, they did things like. Marcelo was born of Sicilian parents in Tunisia, so he was not a citizen. So he had a fake Guatemala birth certificate. So Bobby said, "Okay, you claim you're from Guatemala." Uh, he had him deported and dumped in Guatemala. Guatemalan wow. government, uh, government kicked him out. So you had America's most powerful Godfather, Marcelo, because the New Orleans mob family is America's oldest and most powerful mob family, and hmm. and so you had this Godfather in his Gucci loafers you know in his expensive tailored suit yep you know, going through the jungle after being thrown out of Guatemala with his mob lawyer swearing eternal vengeance and this is this is just a few months into the JFK administration so marcelo was able to sneak back into the united states supposedly with the help of his pilot a guy named david Ferry, who was a cia agent and so so these guys hated the Kennedys and, and they told very close trusted, trusted associates by the fall of 1962 that they were going to kill JFK. JFK would not survive to re-election. Traficanti said that. Marcello said it three times before JFK was killed. And get this, Carlos Marcello gave a pretty detailed confession in 1985 to his cellmate, who, unknown to Marcello, was a wow. FBI informant and eventually even got a bugged transistor radio into their cell. So uh, Marcelo's wow. clearest confession was in the prison yard. But in the cell, according to his cellmate, though I extensively interviewed, uh, and I also talked to two of the three FBI agents involved, Marcelo did talk about things like uh, Marcelo owned Jack Ruby's nightclub. In, in America, they always refer to jack ruby as a nightclub owner jack ruby didn't own that nightclub carlos marcello owned that nightclub right and and he caught jack ruby stealing from the till so jack ruby was summoned to marcello's thousand plus secluded estate outside of new orleans uh, that had its own private airstrip and basically ruby was told look you got to do whatever we tell you to do even if it's going into a police station and shooting the most high high-profile, most protected prisoner in America. You've got to do that because we caught you stealing. Otherwise, you're not leaving here tonight, and the alligators are going to eat your body. So, so Marcelo <laughs> talked about Jack Ruby. talked about not just meeting Oswald, but that Oswald worked for him. Uh, Marcello told two different FBI informants that Oswald worked for him. In the summer of 1963, a few months before JFK was killed, Oswald's family was very mobbed up. His only father figure was a bookie for Marcello. Oswald's mother dated Marcello gangsters. So, um, But they all thought they were on the same team, you know, because the CIA, before Kennedy was elected president, had been ordered by Vice President Nixon, who was running against JFK, the CIA was ordered to work with the mafia, specifically people like Santo Trafficanti and Johnny Roselli and eventually Carlos Marcello to kill Fidel before yeah. the November 1960 election. Didn't happen, but the CIA continued without telling the Kennedys wow. to keep working with those same mobsters not just until JFK was killed, but even after. All the while those mobsters were not really working to kill Castro. They were taking the money and the arms and stuff and the ammunition right. the CIA was giving them to kill Castro. They were using that in their operation to kill JFK. So you can suddenly see why the CIA has been stonewalling every one of those six yeah. congressional committees ever since, because that would look really bad.
2: <laughs> you think? Um you so, know, I wanted to ask so, you, so, you brought up oh, sorry.
1: No, I I just wanted to say, I I hope that answered your question (laughs) as to who killed JFK and why.
2: Well, there seems to be in this new dump, I wanted to ask you about, um, so this was a new name for me, Giacana. Giacana, you said it properly, the Chicago mob boss. um, He seemed to have a keen interest in keeping Castro from taking over Cuba, and this seems to work back into what you're saying about this whole plot to assassinate JFK. So it's a relationship with the mob bosses, the CIA and and trying to get rid of Fidel, Fidel Castro but they have their separate interests is that about right
1: That's about that that's exactly right and and Giancana is a great person to bring up So Giancana was not the godfather of Chicago that was an older mobster
3: okay.
1: but, but Giancana because the godfather of Chicago okay. was an old guy Giancana was the mob boss So Giancana oh, so, okay. was Johnny Roselli's boss Johnny Roselli was the Chicago Mafia's man in Hollywood and Las Vegas? Okay. I don't know if people know it. Uh, younger people know it who don't have all this gray hair. Uh, Frank Sinatra <laughs> and the Rat Pack. Have you guys heard of Frank yeah. Sinatra and the Rat Pack? Of yeah, course. so I've heard of so them. Johnny Roselli. I definitely.
2: Was, was,
1: was, <laughs> yeah, J- Johnny Roselli was like an unofficial part of that. I mean, Johnny Roselli, you know, friends with all Dean right. Martin, friends with Frank Sinatra. You know, Johnny Roselli was very friends with Marilyn Monroe, very Hollywood connected person sam Giancana, so the cia wanted to have the mobsters uh roselli traficanti marcello and they had to bring they didn't want to bring Giancana in but since roselli worked for Giancana, they kind of had to they wanted the mob right. to just you know machine gun castro in an open jeep right. castro did not travel in limousine he traveled in jeeps because he's a man of the people and so that's what they, they wanted a gangland stop slang. But, yeah. you know, the mob knew that, 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 that the Cuban people, if they public, you know, if, if Castro were killed, the gangland slag, like, the Cuban people would never allow the mafia to, to take over their casinos again. Right. And so, Which was and a so big they deal. were looking at things like poisoning. Mm. Yeah, they, like mm. poison, you know, things that would be much more subtle and so that was a constant tension. Right. But, but literally within a month, even before JFK was elected in November of 60, Giancana was already trying to use the CIA to cover up his other crimes. You right. know, so so they just, you know, I mean, it's like once you get in bed with these career criminals, right? you know, I mean, the CIA was just out of their league, basically. And they were manipulated and used, like I say, literally right up until JFK was killed, And even after. And so that's one of two big reasons the CAA has had to cover up things from every one of those six committees and is still covering up so much today.
0: Well, before we get into like more on. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to add one more thing about Sam Giancana. So Bobby was pressing Sam Giancana very hard. And so he had him under like like where they have FBI agents within 20 feet of Giancana when he would go to a restaurant, when he'd go to play golf, when he'd go to a nightclub. And so that was essentially neutering this mob boss when the FBI is shadowing you. So Giancana could not have any kind of an active role in JFK's murder, but his man Johnny Roselli was the CIA's number one guy. Johnny Roselli, using a, a cover identity of Colonel Roselli, the the largest CA station in the world outside of Washington was not in Moscow, wasn't in East Berlin, it was in Miami, Florida, because of okay. all the operations okay. against Fidel. Johnny Roselli could walk into there anytime. And one of the big groups of files, still not released, the FBI was was tracking Roselli, but all the files about Roselli, FBI files about Roselli, end whenever Roselli goes to Florida to work for the CIA, including all the Mm -hmm. files from the fall of 1963, including the time in the fall of 1963 when Johnny Roselli met with Jack Ruby in Florida. So, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: you know, that's just one example of the files. Uh, The other files, as I mentioned, you know, the tapes of Marcello talking about Ruby and Oswald, those tapes have never been released. The transcripts of those tapes haven't been released. And along with those Johnny Roselli surveillance files from the time of JFK's murder, those files and the tapes—they're not even in the group of records at the National Archives that oh. that that Biden can even pull from. The CIA, CIA, i mean, the CIA, FBI, Naval Intelligence, Secret Service—all the best records—they've never sent to the National Archives, Archives. so they're not yeah, even in what's called the JFK Records Collection. Yeah. So that. So that, that's how I predicted uh, on, on Tom Hartman's show, you know, even before the, the, yeah. the deadline, I said none of the most important files will be released because, like I said, they're not even in the pool of files right now that could be released.
3: Right.
0: So before we jump into like more with the documents that were released, there was another thing that that I wanted you to uh, kind of elaborate, because I think this is something a lot of regular people just don't know about. But you've covered this extensively. There were other attempts at JFK's life that kind of went underreported. Could you uh, could you uh, summarize some of those?
1: Kind of went underreported is 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 one thing you you could kind of call that the the understatement of the century, right? Um, um, uh, so Carlos Marcelo, starting in November, around November 1st, 1963, JFK was killed on the 22nd. Mm-hmm. At the very start of November, Marcelo was on federal trial in New Orleans with a federal prosecutor who worked for Bobby Kennedy, not like a sort of maybe could have been corrupt. Career- a local, you know, New Orleans district attorney named Jim Garrison, but, you know, right. by federal prosecutors and Marcelo knew if he was convicted of, you know, he could be deported again this time permanently. And so, mm. so they first, the mafia had one plan, shoot JFK in a motorcade, just like the CIA thought the mafia was planning to do with Fidel. And we even know where, where the CIA thought the mafia was going to kill Fidel. It was going to be when Fidel went to his mansion in Veradero Beach, Cuba. The mansion had belonged to Robert Kennedy's wife's family before the Cuban government took it over. So, so, so the CIA is looking ahead to that. They think, well, you know, the, the, the mafia is going to kill Fidel in an open deep. And so literally the mafia took the plan the CIA thought the mafia was going to use against Fidel. And they they had this plan, shoot JFK in an open motorcade um, because it had to be that way. Otherwise, if JFK were just killed in private or poisoned with a mistress. It was in a coma. You know, you could keep that secret. That that's actually happened in American history with a president named Woodrow Wilson, where Woodrow Wilson was was very ill. And Woodrow Wilson's wife basically ran the government for like months, you know, just saying, oh, yeah, Woodrow, he's he's getting better, you know. So so that's why both. Castro's killing, and JFK's killing had to be in public, you know. So you couldn't keep Castro's death secret. Couldn't keep JFK's secret while Bobby, you know, went after the Mafia. So, uh, so they had one plan, three cities, uh, and uh, all three cities. Jack Ruby grew up in Chicago. He spent time in in Florida. Yeah. You know, he lived in at the time, and, and you know, so he would have had the same role. So he had one plan, three cities, starting in Chicago. Secret Service found out about that. Found out there were four done under surveillance. They lost the two companies they had under surveillance. And, and so basically JFK wow. was going to go to Chicago, go to a big football game, had the same kind of motorcade you've seen all the pictures of in Dallas. And, and the mayor of Chicago, a guy by the name of Richard Daly, America's most yeah. powerful mayor and political boss, was, was a top ally of the Kennedys. And so It was it was a big deal when while people were lining up for the motorcade, they had to cancel not just the motorcade, but the entire trip because of these four gunmen who were at large. And and I know a lot about that because I talked to one of the Secret Service agents from Chicago, Abraham Bolden, the House Select Committee. So nobody knew about Chicago attempt at the time. The House Select Committee in the late 1970s, that fifth investigation, they found out about it. But all the Secret Service agents, except for Abraham Bolden, the first Black presidential U.S. Secret Service agent, they all basically just dissembled, and oh, I don't remember blah blah blah, uh, and, and so yeah, you know, like I say, the public didn't even know then; it doesn't know now. So, so that that whole and, and, and JFK's own press secretary, Pierre Salinger, told me he knew something was strange when he was given two phony excuses, two different phony excuses in the space of 30 minutes, because. The JFK's press secretary, just the one had the one that had to go in front of all these reporters. Yeah, JFK is not coming. I mean, he's not just going to not have a motorcade. He's canceled the whole show. So that was three weeks before Dallas, four days before Dallas. JFK had the longest motorcade of his uh, domestic motorcade of his presidency. He's going to give three or four speeches in Tampa, Florida, and and once again, um, the Secret Service found out that there was a threat and that there was was at least one, probably two unidentified gunmen at large. This was this was huge motorcade. Uh, the largest hotel in Tampa was relatively new at the time, the Florida Hotel. Every window in hotels in those years opened. And, and and JFK had to make one of those hard left turns, just like very similar to what he made in front of the school depositories So the limo would have to slow. And the Tampa police chief told me I was the first person to ever interview him about this. This Is this in the nineties when I called him, he said, you know, I've been waiting on this call since 1963. Yeah. I thought, I thought, you know, the Warren commission, the house, like I, I thought somebody, but I finally called him. Um, And so um, uh, he he said, we, you know, he said, he told JFK, Mm. you got to cancel. You have to cancel this motorcade. Government at large, we can't protect you. You know, gave the hotel as an example where, the The Florida Hotel looks like the Texas School Book Depository, only it's twice as tall. And every window open, and it was packed, because JFK was in town, right? And, and all, all the gunmen had to do was just sit a few feet back and be like shooting fish in a barrel. And so right. the chief of police told me, he just said, look, I, I I told JFK, you've got to cancel. We can't protect you. The Secret Service can't protect you. We're looking for the gunmen. We haven't found them. And so... Uh, JFK told him, look, I I I, I got to give a speech tonight in Miami. There's a national security reason I can't tell you about because it's so top secret. I've got to go through with this motorcade. And much to JFK's credit, he did. But I got to tell you, at one point in that motorcade, there was a backfire. What sounded like a gunshot. And, 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 and people in the motorcade said that JFK is like all the color just, you know, because he just, you know, JFK knew. He's been shot, but it was backfire. So, so all that had gone on. So finally, Dallas comes up, and as far as JFK and the Secret Service knew, finally, they had a motorcade with no active threat. So JFK's Secret <laughs> Service protection detail went out wow. drinking until some of them as late as 4 in the morning. They had to wake up at 6.30 wow. or 7.00. And, and some were drinking fruit juice at so a little after hours joint owned by a friend of Jack Ruby's that didn't have a liquor license. Some were drinking fruit juice. Some were drinking alcohol flavored fruit juice. And some were drinking, you know, uh, as the nightclub owner said in an interview, you know, pure, ever clear alcohol mixed with fruit juice. Mm. And Jack Ruby even sent over some strippers wow. to party with the Secret Service agents. The Secret Service agents. I mean, this was eventually all revealed, but most people have forgotten those articles. Abraham Bolden, first black presidential secret service agent, personally selected by JFK for that role, eventually had to leave the presidential detail before because of all the racism, went to Chicago wow. where he knew about that attempt, found out about the Tampa attempt because it was so similar. You know, the Chicago office communicated with the Tampa office. And then Bolden was like, I'm going to go tell the Warren Commission in the spring of 64, Several months after Jeff King was killed, Aaron Bolden's. I, I can't keep this secret. I got to tell him about the racism and all the drinking and the Chicago. Damn, 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 damn. Yeah. So uh, Bolden flew to Washington, was going to tell the Warren Commission investigators what he knew. And when he got off the plane, he was arrested on trumped up charges. He was framed by the mafia, uh, convicted, even though. Wow. Uh, The two main witnesses against him admitted they committed perjury on the orders of the district attorney. And and Bolden served years in prison, you know, was fighting to clear himself for years. And just this past March, to everybody's surprise, my surprise, Abraham Bolden's surprise, uh, because, I mean, people, he tried to get a pardon from Obama, even tried to get a pardon from Trump. Joe Biden pardoned Abraham Bolden. Oh, wow. And on the official White House website in America, when you get a pardon, I mean, Trump stuff aside, you know, you're supposed to, like, admit you were guilty and you've reformed and you're sorry for what you did. The official White House website announcement of Bolden's pardon basically says, yeah, Bolden was framed. <laughs> yeah, you know, he wow. was framed. He wasn't guilty, which is just I, I've never seen that, you know, on a White House announcement. So 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 that gives me a little hope hmm. so so yeah so 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 and, and this brings up another important point so the secret service obviously knew about the temp, but uh, the fbi was you know cuz it was all hands on deck every federal agency was trying to help protect jfk right you know cuz he was going to go ahead with his motorcade so the fbi knew all about it even though they usually don't do uh, presidential protection you know they 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 find criminals so they were looking for those gunmen uh, the CIA certainly knew um, yeah, because Florida had a lot of pro-Castro people and anti-Castro mm-hmm. groups, you know. Yeah. And, then, and then even Naval Intelligence, because Tampa is a port, Naval Intelligence, we know they were informed. So if any of those organizations had told the Warren Commission about the Tampa attempt, everything would have been over. You guys and I would not be talking today. because Oswald didn't have the money for a plane ticket to Tampa. He didn't own a car and he couldn't drive. You know? So, right. so, you know, there was another fair play for Cuba uh, committee member in Tampa, uh, a guy that actually was from Cuba, Cuban exile, who would have, Gilberto Policarpo Lopez, who would have, you know, had the, the the murder pinned on him. So, what I'm getting at is here, to keep it secret from all six government committees, the Secret Service and the FBI and the CIA, Naval Intelligence. They all had to coordinate because if any one agency had told one of those committees about it. So I eventually told the sixth committee, the Assassination Records Review Board, authorized by a unanimously passed Act of Congress in 1990, the JFK Act. It created the JFK Records Review Board of distinguished historians and judges. And they hired a staff and and, and, and all the agencies were told, don't destroy any more records after 1992 keep everything, give it to this review board. Yeah. So I wrote to the review board and said, hey, you guys probably don't know about the Tampa camp, Chicago attempt, the secret naval intelligence investigation of Oswald that essentially cleared it. And I told them in writing three weeks after they got my letter, the secret service told them, oh, we just destroyed all of the records covering the time of the Tampa and Chicago attempts, even though the law said we were supposed to preserve them. Why would they do that? We just accidentally, well, I I think you can see why they would do that, because they had hid it from the five earlier government committees. What were they going to do? Say, oh, here are these files that we hid from the five earlier committees, but we're finally going to come. No, it was just easier to say, whoops, we accidentally did it. And they got away with it. And this is in print. They admitted it. It's in the final report of the review board. So when the Secret Service destroyed the files about the January 6th riot at the Capitol, you know, they were just doing what they had been getting away with since at least the 1990s. (laughs) They figured, yeah, January 6th committee wants these files. We'll just destroy them. Like we did the JFK Chicago files back in the 90s.
2: Okay. So that's wild to me. Um, I didn't know that. Let me ask you this, though. So I can understand that the mob bosses didn't want Castro to take power in Cuba, because that would mean the end of the gravy train with the casinos there. That seems obvious. The CIA obviously doesn't want Castro to take power because they're fighting, you know, communism. That's the big boogeyman at the time. But what is the relationship between the CIA and the mob bosses and, and JFK? as far as the assassination is concerned.
1: Well, two, two important things going back in history, because what, what you said is what I would call conventional history, but it's not correct. Okay. So it is true that when, so, so the CIA, yeah, they, they, you know, they've waged and are waging now. In other words, remember we're still in a secret covert war against Cuba and have been since the day
2: right.
1: really before Castro took over, you know, so that's, I'm, big excuse the CIA has for not releasing stuff but it is true but the CIA actually sent money to Fidel Castro and one of their agents before he took over in other words they were playing both sides Um,
2: that's not surprising uh, just
1: like you give you a more (laughs) recent example in Iran you know when, when the Ayatollah took over Iran in the late 70s uh, the Ayatollah was almost killed by the dictator, the Shah of Iran. That was big CIA and, and, and U.S. government support. But the CIA had actually been helping to support and protect the Ayatollah in the mid-70s because
2: right, there, it, there, our enemies shift. So, yeah, our enemies so, shift. So, they they often arm people that turn around. Right, you yeah. know, ten years later. Yeah. And so, was it a, a beef against Spain? Then, what was the background on that?
1: Well, well, so so, so what happened? So so you get back to Cuba. So they had a CIA agent and money was going to Fidel even before he took over, you know, to buy the influence. But, right. But here's the important thing what most people know, they reopened. And when they reopened, Castro put a mobster who was the CIA (laughs) agent who was in the mountains with Castro. Castro put that guy, a guy by the name of, his real name was Frank Fiorini. Some people have heard of a person called Frank Sturgis. Same person. Frank okay. Fiorini hmm. sounds a little more mobster, uh, but Frank Sturgis, later Watergate Burger, was put in charge by Castro of the casinos. Yeah, you know, so so they were allowed to reopen, and as long as okay. they gave Castro's government a cut, that was that was fine. And so hmm. uh, yeah, so so they stayed. Those casinos stayed open for another. Oh, I think a year and a half, almost two years. The French mafia, part of the French Connection heroin network, they kept a couple of yeah. nightclubs open until at least 1962 yeah. or 63. And so, and so, so like I say that that was just a weird thing. But but then the CIA was immediately on Vice President Nixon's order, trying to kill Fidel. Uh, now Santo Trafficante was was being sought by the Kennedys to testify at those hearings. And and they kept going after him and the government was going after them. And so Traficante was detained by Fidel Castro, but he cut a deal with Fidel Castro, the intermediary. Okay. So Marcello sent Jack Ruby to, 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 to relay messages to Traficante and some people in the Cuban government. And they worked out a deal I mean, Traficante wasn't in a prison. He was in kind of a guest house and his daughter got married in Cuba and he was allowed to go. To the- so so Traficante cut a deal with with the Cuban government to let him transship narcotics because mm. Traficante's father invented okay. the French Connection Heroin Network. They provided most of the heroin in America. And so the deal was yeah. Traficante would be able to ship heroin through Cuba, but he wouldn't let any of that heroin get out in- into cuba and so oh. and so let's go to 1963. now by that time the casinos have been closed you know people don't realize either it was mainly the wealthy people that went because right. you had to buy a plane ticket the hotels were expensive right. the casinos the casinos weren't you know mm-hmm. wear a t-shirt casinos they were you know suit and tie or even a tux and elaborate nightclubs one of which the Tropicana, is right. still down there and so and so Marcelo and Traficante, they realized, look, if we open, if we got to reopen, the, if Castro died, we got to reopen the casinos tomorrow. The chance that America's, you know, because there had been a lot of executions under Castro and all those people were in fatigues, people dragged off the streets right. and shot. And so, you know, the idea that, that wealthy Americans would flock back to Cuba at that point was remote. They were getting ready to do casinos yeah. in the Bahamas. <laughs> right. And so right and and so uh, here's the here's the other big secret the big secret that 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 all the agencies have been using as an excuse to keep everything secret for so long that that my friend tom hartman and i found out in the early 90s i only wrote about it in 2005 even then i had to leave out names so i can only completely talk about it now their their names you'll hear in the next few minutes are not in my books because they were sources and we couldn't yeah, I couldn't name them. So basically JFK was working with the number three man in Cuba, the founder of the Cuban Army, the head of the Cuban Army, the number three man in Cuba, uh, who headed the Cuban Army named Juan Almeida. And Juan Almeida was working with John and Robert Kennedy and in their, their top aides, to overthrow Fidel Castro on December 1st, 1963, 10 days after Dallas. But, but Almeida wouldn't take the blame for Castro's murder. Castro was very popular. Most of the people that hated Castro had left Cuba by then, you know. And so Almeida would blame. Jan, I mean, uh, Almeida would blame Fidel and Rule's death on a Russian or a Russian sympathizer. This is a year after the Cuban Missile Crisis okay. when we all almost got blown up. And I was a kid in school. We had to hide under our desk and and spin hours in the bomb shelter at school because we all thought we'd get blown up in the fall of 62 and so so you got to remember uh jfk's killed just a year after that and so that's why this plan could never be real not even after Castro was dead not a year later not 10 years later it was always supposed to look like uh some dastardly russian or russian sympathizer
2: Hmm. it killed
1: fidel and raul and uh and 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 JFK had just reacted, you know, well to this unexpected situation, and that was supposed to be secret, like I say, forever. And and Almeida had agreed to work with five Cuban exile leaders, approved by the Kennedys, uh, to form a coalition government and eventually have uh, democratic elections in Cuba. The Mafia would not be allowed to reopen their casinos. And the mafia was banned okay. from this ultra-top-secret coup plan. So the mafia had nothing to gain by letting oh, the coup okay. plan go forward. If it had worked, Castro okay. ruled or dead. Pedro Almeida's running Cuba, coalition government. Freedom. You know, they don't get to reopen their casinos. In the meantime, like say, Marcello's on trial. Johnny Roselli's not a citizen. He's subject to deportation. Traficante's family members are being prosecuted. The week okay. JFK was killed... The New York Times ran a week-long series of articles, all leaked by Attorney General Robert Kennedy, saying the Justice Department under Robert Kennedy is getting ready to go into Las Vegas, run the mafia out of Las Vegas. So, I mean, where's the mafia going to go? They don't have Cuba. They won't have... I mean, so their backs were totally against the wall. But they knew that plan was so top secret. If they could take a few parts of that plan, use them to kill JFK, then not just the cia but but the top people in government including president's own brother attorney general Robert kennedy would be forced to cover up a lot of information not to protect the killers but to prevent world war iii just a year after the cuban missile crisis so even down to things as small as the bullets found in oswald's Mm -hmm. rifle after the assassination The guy who sold that bullet, there's only one guy in in Dallas that sold that particular kind of bullet. He's in FBI files before these assassinations saying, you know, I just heard there's a top secret plan to invade Cuba, you know, uh, around December the 1st. And and boy, I I think I can make a lot of money on the stock market. This is the guy who sold the (laughs) ammo. Needless to say, you know, you can see how just little things, you know. So, so that's one other big reason, because Bobby Kennedy knew that someone in the CIA working with the mafia had killed his brother. He told the CIA director mm. that just two hours after JFK died. Uh, oh, wow. There was a new CIA director, John McCone, who taken over after the Bay of Pigs fiasco. And Bobby yeah. uh, told him there was a reporter working on a book with some of these Cuban exiles, including one that, that, that had worked with Traficante. And Bobby... Told the journalist working on the book with with that guy, one of your guys did it. So so Bobby knew right off who did it, mm. but he couldn't he couldn't say, oh yeah, yeah we were getting ready to overthrow Fidel and you know, yeah. and you just couldn't say that. Bobby couldn't say it then. He couldn't say it five years later. Even people like John Nolan, Bobby's top aide in '63, you know, couldn't say it in public. You know, 30 years later, and that's why I had to wait. I waited two years after he died, you know, to even ever say his name. And his name is not in any of my books. But I I refer to a close Kennedy aide in my book. So if anybody reads those, yeah, that close Kennedy aide was John Nolan. And, And John Nolan had another interesting, several interesting things. But so I have a few pages of the plans that a top secret subcommittee of the National Security Council at the direction of Bobby Kennedy, starting in September, two months before JFK was killed, were making secret plans for what to do if Fidel found out about the coup plan and preemptively, or postemptively, uh, retaliated by assassinating an American official. So most people don't know that for two months before JFK's murder, these top officials were uh, making plans. Well, what, what, what should we do if, say, the American ambassador. This is the example that John Nolan gave me. What if what if the American ambassador in, in Panama is is killed on the street one day? How do how do we know that's not Castro telling us, "Oh, I know what you're getting ready to do to me, so I got one of your guys first. You know, yeah,
3: right.
1: uh, you know, we don't want to have World War III. And and it maybe it turns out it's just a street robbery or a lovers' quarrel or something. So what would you do? If the U.S. ambassador to Panama is killed in broad daylight, say in his car or walking down the street in Panama, you would not want a Panamanian hospital to do that autopsy. You want a U.S. government uh, military uh, hospital and officials to do that autopsy. You would want to control the flow of information so that Congress, American people weren't going to stampede the government into invading Cuban retaliation. So so all these plans were in place. That is why. And John Nolan saw every page of that. There were hundreds of pages of plans, you know, a a dozen meeting with representatives from the CAA, State Department, all, all these agencies. And John Nolan saw every page of that. And that's why. JFK's autopsy was not done in Dallas. His body was flown all the way back to Washington right. to Bethesda Hospital. It was military personnel that did it. Bobby <laughs> Kennedy was at Bethesda, up on the family floor, sixth or seventh floor with Jackie Kennedy. But he was on the phone with John Nolan, who was just outside the autopsy room with an open door. And Bobby would give his orders to John Nolan. John Nolan would put the phone down and relay them to Admiral Berkeley. JFK's uh, personal physician, who would then relay the orders to the, Bethes- the Bethesda Naval Hospital head, who would then give the orders to the uh, autopsy physicians. And, and John Nolan confirmed something for me that, that, that had no one's ever confirmed before or since, but there's a lot of information. So JFK's body at Bethesda was very different in a couple of respects than it was when it left Dallas. First bullet that hit JFK entered his throat. Small entrance wound at Parkland Hospital. While the doctors tried wow. to save JFK, they made a tiny tracheotomy incision in that tiny throat wound. Okay, and it was very small. You know because I'm in the South. We grow up with guns. You know, uh, bullets make a small entrance wound and a big exit wound. You know, they
3: mm-hmm. they enter okay. small.
1: Ex- that soft lead expands. And they they exit big. You know, um, and so. Small entrance wound, little tracheotomy incision. That that was when the body left Dallas. Now we actually have you know, JF autopsy photos of Bethesda, and that's just a huge gaping wound, many times bigger than it was in Dallas. Now, hmm. there's no official explanation for that. Yeah, there's just none. And also the head wound that's was was different in Bethesda. Okay. And so people have wondered. And and some people and, and the the timing of when the body arrived, the honor guard escorting JFK's body from Air Force One to Bethesda Naval Hospital, the Honor Guard lost the ambulance with JFK's body. It sped away from the honor guard. So it got there before the honor guard did, several minutes before the honor that's guard
2: That's weird. And okay. so oh, that's
1: very well, uh, but see there was a reason. And then and then also we have a test. We have testimony from a naval officer who later became an admiral, a very prominent admiral. This is a credible guy, a guy who became an admiral. I think he was like a commander, lieutenant commander at the time. He said, "Okay, when JFK's body is is lifted. Out of the coffin and and put on the the table um, that that a bullet rolled out of his back, a mostly intact bullet just rolled out of his back.
2: Wow.
3: Okay.
1: Because JFK was shot about six inches below the top of his collar in his back. Not the back of his neck, like a lot of reconstructions show, but we know from the autopsy diagrams and his shirt and his coat, uh, he was shot about almost six inches from the top of his collar in his back. Uh, Gerald Ford on the Warren Commission, our later president, changed it to a back of the neck wound, but he just changed it because otherwise nobody would believe the magic bullet theory. So so this, so this guy who later became an admiral, um, saw this bullet roll out. Well what happened to that bullet? It's not in any official stuff. So I asked John Nolan, I said, look, there are these unexplained things and and the time doesn't quite match up. And it, you know, some people have theorized and only theorized that, that there was some sort of very brief national security autopsy, official autopsy, because at that oh. time on Friday night, Oswald wasn't killed until Sunday morning, you know, you were looking at a trial for Oswald. So an official autopsy, you would have to give all that information to Oswald's defense attorney. Right. Mm. But if you could have a secret, a secret, a secret national security autopsy before that, you know, you know, that wasn't, you know, recorded and filmed and everything. Yeah. Then you could, you know, you wouldn't have to Mm. give that. You could hide that from the Oswald's defense attorneys. So. So I, I asked Nolan that because see that would have explained, you know, Somebody actually going into that throat wound right. looking for a bullet, you know, right. trying, trying to find a bullet there. Uh, that would explain what happened to the mostly intact bullet that rolled out of JFK's back and just disappeared and, and the differences in the head wounds. So I asked John Nolan that, and this was at the very end of the interview. It was interrupted 12 times whenever we were talking about something really, really secret, like the autopsy of Commander Almeida. The, the connection would get all the static, it would go out. Eventually, I walked out into that. I was, I believe it was at the Mayflower hotel in Washington. Mayf- and, and I, and, and, and I held up what today would be like $40 basically brought to bellhop $40 to bring me a telephone from another room. And after I plugged in that telephone, I had no more interruptions. It was fine. So it is very ironic that, that you know, this is only the third time I've ever mentioned John Nolan's name in
0: public. So, <sighs> Oh no. Third and last, I guess. Third this is be the last. <laughs> they were just like after you do it the third time, we're cutting your net. We don't care oh what show God. you're on. Ring, ring.
2: There
3: we Can go. You hear
0: hey, it? hey Lamar, what's up? Hi. It's Ron. Yeah, so- sorry about all this Ron. No, it's okay. It's okay. I I'm a you know, I'm a big municipal broadband advocate. So this is uh these are life lessons as to why. So the topic we really got to get to, man, were there any revelations in these new documents? Like, were there any kind of big bombshells? No, no, because, and and I'll tell you the
3: reason why. So you've seen this figure, I don't know, 13,000, 14,000. So that's just like a bogus figure. So 95, 99% of what was released were files we already had, Hmm. but they... Hmm. uh, Included, you know, one or two names or a line that had been blacked out and censored, before, what's, what the archives called redacted. Okay, mm-hmm. so so you know the mainstream media is reporting, you know, tens of you know, or thirteen or fourteen thousand documents, but like I say, ninety five, ninety nine percent of those we already had. It's just now we have a name or a line or something like this. The really important documents, for instance, about a uh, hitman who worked for Santo Traficante, you get an opening paragraph, and the two long paragraphs after that are still completely blacked out. So, mm. you know, on the different page in that file, yeah, we got a couple more names, but the important page about Traffic hitman, who, according to another Cuban exile, uh, was in Dealey Plaza um, when JFK was shot, yeah, that's still blacked out. So, so no, there were no big new revelations. I, I, I'm, I, I'm a member of a. Uh, JFK authors, historians, researchers email group, uh, and they're in their public groups as well. And so every time somebody has said, "Oh, yeah, what about this? You know, this is interesting," somebody else will come and say, "Oh, no, we've we've had that for several years." You yeah, know, so mm. so some people think interesting stuff, but like I said, that's why I boldly predicted, you know, a couple of days before the deadline, yeah, that none of the the important stuff would mm. be released. And so yeah, so there's. You know, Because, again, the fix was in in the 90s from the collection, the archives, and the vitamin administration you would have to pull from. All the good stuff is not even in that collection.
0: I love the fact that a JFK historian's email group exists. That, I know. That, just, yeah, that, it's, that, it's, that makes me it's happy it's people, knowing that.
3: It's people on all sides of the issue. Okay. I can't say it's always completely cordial, but I say 90% of the time it's it's, it's very cordial. And, and you know, to me, none of this stuff is it's personal. You know, there's a, the biggest advocate on the Lone nut magic bullet theory is a guy by the name of Gerald Posner, who wrote a book called Case Close. A few years ago in New Orleans, at a secret talk I gave to a, a group of wealthy businessmen, uh, uh, I met Gerald Posner there, had a very nice talk with, with Posner and, and his wife. And he explained how he came to write his book. I would be impressing him, but you know, it was just a, a friendly, positive interchange. Oddly enough, at a restaurant named, get this, Marcello's. Mm. So, so, but to me, this isn't a personal. You know, so, so, yeah. Different experts on different sides of the issue can 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 most of the time have cordial conversations and share information because everybody, you know, even Gerald Posner, he wants the files released. You know, he thinks they'll prove Oswald acted alone. I, I, I know okay. just the opposite. So, um, and, and by the way, just to let you know, and your listeners, um, and it's just so funny, you know, that my interview with John Nolan went a lot like this one. So John Nolan did confirm to me uh, that there was a brief national security autopsy before wow. the initial autopsy, and he because mm. you know, he was there as Bobby's man, and uh, he said, he said, you know, he said, you know because we he and I've been talking about this Cuba contingency plans for what to do if American official is assassinated. Um, and, and said, you know, it was because of all these national security concerns we had about the coup plan.
0: Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you bearing through all of these many difficulties. That uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back when there's uh. Maybe there'll be uh, some some revelations that uh, that that really do uh, do shake things up, but it looks like they're still keeping the they're still keeping the heavy goods from us. Uh, June thirtieth of twenty twenty three. So okay, a little over six months. That's the that's the new deadline. So oh, keep that in mind. Okay. Life. Yeah, we'll see what they'll probably try to kick it kick it down the line. Thank you so much, Lamar. and um, they, 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 thank you guys. Enjoyed it again. Sorry for, for
3: technical difficulties, but they they do crop up. I'll leave you with this wonderful thought. They do crop up. In media appearances or even uh, personal phone calls about top-secret stuff around holidays.
2: For some oh I, I, I oh really around holidays? Now,
3: but I, it, it's like it's almost as if the usual guys who keep track of all the stuff and, and basically the CIA they keep track. I mean I've got I've got files on media appearances by JFK authorities going back to the mid-80s you know in newspaper. you know so so they keep track of this stuff but, but it's almost like that the regular crew is so good there's never a problem, but it's like it's like the holiday crew, you know, the holiday time when they're short-staffed or something. You know, they're a little more, a little more obvious about it. But but yeah, I'm saying that in jest because I'm sure this was all just a coincidence, all right. Olbert coincidence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, Lamar, thank you so Thanks, much, Lamar. and uh, you know, happy holidays to you.
3: Same to you guys.
0: All guys. right, so, cheers. Bye. I guess we're still waiting for the truth on this one. Yeah. Someday. <laughs> Someday we'll know definitively exactly what happened. And only a handful of people will actually believe it anyway.
2: I know at this point.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, like we're not going to I mean, at this point, they could just really drop the entire truth and they wouldn't have anything to worry about, because like some people would just be like, oh, that's not legit. Other people be like, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we live in a post fact universe. We do. They might as well. They might as well not keep anything from us at this point. (laughs) Just be like, here you go. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Oh, my God. So true. All
0: right, y'all. Peace. Peace. This has been Status quo.